Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. My name is Michael Bernstein. I'm the rabbi of Congregation Gesher Torah in Alpharetta, Georgia. Today we'll be looking at Psachim Pei Zion, the 87th page. Our Mishnah, which is the opening of a new chapter, deals with the a continuation of the conversation about the importance of registration, the idea that in order to eat from the Korban Pesach, in the time that uh, the temple stood, you can't just go to anybody's Seder and eat from their korban, from their paschal sacrifice. You must register beforehand so that there is intention when the paschal sacrifice is being slaughtered and uh, dealt with ritually that it's also on your behalf. In this case, we have three different individuals who all fall into a category of being less than fully owned by themselves, a category we've seen elsewhere, and a, and a triplet we've seen elsewhere, a isha, a katan, and an eved, a woman, a child, and a slave. Now, we're not dealing with all situations here, but in the case of a woman, we're dealing with a case in which she has become married, and she is already part of her husband's household, but she may also be spending Pesach with her father's household. And in various cases, since it seems in this Mishnah, it is not clear whether she wants to be registered with the Paschal offering with her husband's household or that of her father's household, we need to determine the case. Uh, in the case of the child, it's one in which he is an orphan and an apotropos, a guardian is making the decision and in the case of the slave, uh, various situations in which uh, he may belong to one or two masters. And uh, the key in the, all of these situations is going to be deciding whether or not the actions that the individual takes after the fact, once the paschal sacrifice has been slaughtered and there is more than one possible uh, way in which they may have logically thought that they would be participating, one or more group, Chavura, that they would be having their Paschal sacrifice with. In the case of our Mishnah, uh, in various situations, it seems that the choice uh, that is made after the fact of who she eats with, or who the orphan or who the slave eats with, may have a, um, a bearing. Um, and it would seem, as the Talmud will ask, that it has a bearing retroactively. In other words, at the time that the paschal sacrifice is slaughtered, it could be on behalf of the woman joining her husband's chavura group or her father's household. And it says, at least in the case where this is the first year of marriage, that if she eats by her father, then in fact it is valid. And if she eats by her husband, then in fact it is valid. And just focusing on this case, the Talmud says that this teaches us that there is brera, meaning that there's validity to a certain concept called brera. 
Now this takes a moment to, to, to focus on because the phrase Ein Breira uh, has resonance elsewhere in the Jewish world and Jewish history as meaning we have no choice. But in the Talmud, Ein Breira and Yesh Breira, or Late Breira and Yesh Breira, that there is not whether a person has a choice moving forward, but whether or not we accept a principle that after the fact a person's actions can retroactively tell us what they consent to. So focusing on the case of the woman in the second uh, case in the Mishnah, that when the woman is in a position, she's married, and it's her first year of marriage, we determine it would seem that if she goes to eat with her father, then retroactively it was her consent to have been included in the paschal sacrifice for her father's household. And if she goes to eat with her husband, then retroactively she is consenting in that case. However, the Talmud will not leave this situation. There's a Rishonim, the commentaries say the reason is because elsewhere, a Torah law, we do not generally hold the principle of Brera, that you can go back after the fact and find out what the consent is. And so they read this case as in fact being that she was actually asked. When it says she eats wherever she wants, we don't read it the way we probably first read it, which is that after the fact she chooses where she wants to go, and that teaches us who she had consented to eat with, but in fact she was asked beforehand. Who do you want to eat with? Who do you want us to have you registered with? And in that case, of course, it goes on to, um, to say that then the consent is, is, uh, is given. Now there's going to be a continuation of the Talmud's conversation, but eventually it moves into a long digression about various prophets. And the reason is because this image of a woman and her husband will be seen as a trope of different ways in which the prophets talked about what it meant to have the relationship between the children of Israel and God. And this is what I want to take a moment and think about, because something very interesting happens. We eventually get deep into the story of Hosea, of the prophet Hosea, who not only uses the metaphor, but actually lives out a life in which God asks Hosea, or commands Hosea, to take a woman uh, named Gomer Bat Diblaim, a not very well-regarded woman of the harlot profession, have children with her, and see what it's like to, uh, to feel um, betrayed by a wife and betrayed by one's own flesh and blood. The way that God has tried to make Hosea understand, it means for God to feel betrayed by the children of Israel as close to God's own household as a people can be. Uh, and there's a lot here, a lot of really juicy, almost literally stuff, uh, as uh, Gomer Bati Blaim, um, there's a discussion of how she resembles uh, figs that are pressed. It's, it's, it's not exactly um, the kind of images that we uh, always cherish or should cherish uh, in our tradition. And it reminds us that these images of Israel as a wife or Israel as a slave or even Israel as a child being taken care of of a master all seem quite limited in terms of their power to make us understand what it means for us to be in relationship with God. What's interesting, though, is even though these are the images that the Gemara still keeps coming back to, the way in which it tells the story shows that while we don't bring in new images, which would really break through and give us different ways, different tropes to think of God, 
we do problematize the idea of what does it mean to be a master. And so on this daf, on Pei Zion, Amud Bet, we end with a discussion that Rabbi Yochanan says, woe to the Rabbanut, not the Rabbanut, the, the rabbis, but those in authority. Why? Because people who have authority tend not to live very long. And we understand this because earlier in the discussion we see that there are in fact four prophets who outlived not only one king, but lived through four different kingdoms. And so the prophets all lived long. And the masters, the authorities, all passed away early, at least according to this illustration. And I think that what this shows us, again, using the limited vocabulary that the Gemara chooses to uh, employ here, that it's not so simple what the relationship to master to slave or even husband to wife or guardian to orphan is. That conversation will continue in a halachic way in the next daf. But in a narrative way, even as we go through Hosea's unfortunate life and learning these unfortunate lessons, the, the Talmud in its own way has poked holes in the idea of what it's like. What does it mean if we really think of God as the one with authority and the master, when the Talmud is wryly making the point that the master doesn't live so long anyway? And what does it mean going all the way back to the original halachic conversation about whether there is Brera or not Brera, whether or not our future choices retroactively talk about our consent? Does that say something about us, the servants of God, the wife to God's husband, the children being guarded by God, who is taken out of Egypt by the mighty hand of our master, that our future choices reflect on what that original moment, the moment that we're brought to remember through the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Sacrifice? What does that mean retroactively? I think all of these questions hang in the narrative structure that the Talmud gives us, even as it's working through the actual halakha, the actual laws of these situations. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.